This podcast was sponsored by Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services. Baba Sobers Wealth Management works with physicians, medical practices, and hospitals, providing comprehensive wealth management services for individuals and institutions. Visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC. FirstNet, built with AT&T, is the only nationwide wireless network built with and for emergency responders, including Arizona physicians, nurses, and other critical staff. FirstNet subscribers get a great mobile experience with added security and peace of mind. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. spine you know is under a lot of load and there's really two two main areas of the spine that get injured uh, one is the cervical spine and the other is the lumbar spine i think by far the most common uh, injuries are in the lumbar spine and you know with baseball there's certainly a lot of torque and twisting uh, some axial loading we often see people getting hurt you know throwing or making an athletic uh, maneuver fielding a ball, turning and throwing, um, and that twisting mechanism certainly puts a lot of load uh, on the spine. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode, and our guest is Dr. Christopher Young. He is a board-certified, fellowship-trained orthopedic spine surgeon, and his special interest is minimally invasive spine surgery techniques with the philosophy of choosing the least invasive yet most effective method to treat spine problems. He graduated magna cum laude from the University of California, San Diego, and was elected into Phi Beta Kappa. He then graduated in the top 5% of his medical school class at the University of Southern California School of Medicine, and went on to an orthopedic residency at UC Irvine Medical Center. Dr. Young then completed his spine surgery fellowship at USC Center for orthopedic spine surgery in coordination with the LA Spine Surgery. Today's conversation is to talk about spine care in baseball. And we'll talk about uh, in a second, all the different teams that he's supporting. But Dr. Young, wanted to thank you for your time and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, and you are um, one of the co-owners of Desert Institute for Spine Care. Uh, I want to ask you about that later on. But uh, our main focus today is to talk about all the different different things you're doing to help uh, baseball players. And I found that you you do help out the Cardinals. Uh, you also help out Arizona State University. But the list of baseball teams, and I'm not sure if this is all of them, are Arizona Diamondbacks, Chicago Cubs, Kansas City Royals, Colorado Rockies, Los Angeles Dodgers, LA Angels, Cincinnati Reds, and Seattle Mariners. That is really extensive. And uh, is that tied off into teams that are coming through town for spring training? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are all Cactus League teams. And not only do they play spring training games here, but they have with their stadiums and their complexes, like a whole facility where they can do rehab. And, you know, the teams don't just have the major league teams. Each, each team has probably like six or seven uh, minor league teams. And so this area, the, the spring training sites serve as kind of like the, the hub for the, the minor league guys. So um, they got a lot of players uh, coming in and out of here and they need care. And luckily I was lucky enough to become involved with Arizona Diamondbacks early in my career. And 
when some of these other teams get an injured player or staff member or whatnot, you know, they've just over the years um, started using me also. And it's been great. Well, that's, that's awesome. It must be really exciting. Uh, I wanted to ask you how you did get involved with providing care for professional baseball players. And it sounds like you started with the Diamondbacks, but how the Diamondbacks, why the Diamondbacks, you know, do you have a background in baseball or something that was in your background that brought you to connect with the <laughs> Diamondbacks team? Yeah, well, you know, I was a pitcher when I was really little in Little League. That goes way back. But, you know, I always had an affinity for sports. Um, when I was doing my orthopedic residency, I was torn between spine surgery, which, you know, my dad was a spine surgeon. So I was kind of had that in the back of my mind. But I was always uh, attracted to like the sports medicine aspect of um, orthopedic surgery. So it was a difficult decision, but I actually found a nice fellowship in Los Angeles uh, with Dr. Robert Watkins, where he his practice is focused on sports and spine. So um, he's the preeminent spine surgeon that cares for athletes, you know, across the country. And, you know, I was lucky enough to do this fellowship there, learn from him, um, get in that network and, you know, get trained and the little intricacies of treating professional athletes and having to uh, communicate with the team, the agents, the trainers, the players, family members, you know, and just helping coordinate that. So uh, I think that specialized training uh, obviously helped me when I returned to Phoenix um, after all my my training, uh, including the fellowship, and then just doing good work. Uh, I think having good outcomes, um, becoming, you know, more ingrained in the, in the community, building relationships with the primary head team orthopedic physicians and, and primary care physicians for the teams, getting good outcomes for their, you know, non-players, uh, and then eventually getting consulted and, and getting on staff officially for the, um, the teams. That's great. I wanted to talk with you, Dr. Young, about the science behind this. So what are the most common mechanisms of injury um, that you're seeing with spines? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, it's very complex. And, you know, the spine, you know, is under a lot of load. And there's really two, two main areas of the spine that get injured. Uh, one is the cervical spine and the other is the lumbar spine. I think by far the most common uh, injuries are in the lumbar spine. Um, and, you know, with baseball, there's certainly a lot of torque and twisting, uh, some axial loading. Uh, we often see people getting hurt, you know, throwing or making an athletic um, maneuver, fielding a ball, turning and throwing. Um, and that twisting mechanism certainly puts a lot of load uh, on the spine. Um, and things like batting, there's a lot of uh, coiling, uncoiling. Um, and if your trunk's not strong enough, you know, that can cause uh, an, an injury. Um, and I think, you know, just the diving and collisions and stuff can, can cause some impact and axial loading, you know, so it's, it's different for every, every type of injury, but you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see when they actually get injured on the field and there's some film of it. Um, and it helps us understand the biomechanics a little bit. I think a lot of the injuries, however, are not actually playing. They're just training, weightlifting. I think one of the most common uh, injuries I see is someone hurt themselves after doing deadlifts. Deadlifts are, seem like super common to, uh, to cause uh, back problems because you're just putting a lot of load, a lot of strain on, on the back. And so that 
affects the discs, which are the cushions between the bones and, you know, can cause them to tear and just cause some axial back pain or tear and then herniate when they, which, which would then cause pressure on the nerve and sciatica and radiculopathy down the leg. And, you know, they can get numbness, tingling or weakness in the leg because of that pinched nerve, but, you know, pinched nerves, herniated discs, those are probably the most common, um, surgical problems other than the typical like sprain or strain. All right. Thank you. That's, that's a lot of options. And I, later on, I want to ask you sort of at um, the high school and college level, whether there's any different mechanism of injury from what you see at the, at the minor or major league. But um, before we take a break, I wanted to ask you about uh, treatment options. So please describe for listeners the range of treatment options going from invasive to non-invasive. What, what normally would you present to patients about what's on the table or, or what they could do uh, non-invasively as well? Sure. I mean, I assume you're mentioning like surgical treatment options. I mean, first of all, we try to treat everything non-surgically, um, you know, rest, anti-inflammatory medications, ice, stretching, massage, TENS unit, electric stimulation, all that stuff to help with the acute symptoms and spasms and reactive uh, treatments um, or the reactive uh, symptoms. But if it's causing a lot of pain, a lot of inflammation, you know, a lot of times the first interventional um, treatment is, is a steroid injection. So that's just putting a, a steroid medication, like an epidural steroid injection, uh, either into the facet joints that are irritated or into the epidural space uh, around the nerve and around the disc, just to uh, decrease inflammation and try to calm things down. Um, a lot of times that does the trick, you know, in the neck or the back. Um, and, and you can do up to about three of those in a row, spaced about two weeks apart um, minimum. But if they aren't getting satisfactory relief from those injections, or if they have a neurologic deficit, um, which means they have like some weakness or functional problems, then surgery could be indicated. Uh, the kind of least invasive surgeries are a discectomy, and that can be formed either through an endoscope, which is like an ultra minimally invasive uh, procedure where we, it's like a, a knee scope, but it's in the spine, in the, in the lumbar spine, uh, and just target the herniation and, and remove the herniation, get the pressure off the nerves. Uh, or uh, we could do a microscopic lumbar discectomy, still minimally invasive. That's more of a posterior approach, muscle splitting approach, and shave some bone off to access the, the spinal canal and retract the nerves and pluck out the disc herniation and alleviate the nerve compression. So those are the main things that we do in, in athletes because they're a relatively uh, young cohort of patients. Um, eventually, and, and a lot of the retired players, uh, just from the wear and tear on their body, um, and or they've had discectomies in the past, which if you remove some disc or there's not as much cushion, then the bones can kind of settle and eventually they can get bone on bone and, and um, have a lot more back pain because of the bone rubbing. And then you start looking at things like fusions where we can do a minimally invasive uh, lumbar fusion um, and prevent those bones rubbing together. And those are all stuff in the lumbar spine. In the cervical spine, if you have a herniated disc, typically you don't just do a discectomy because you want to go through the front and a little anterior approach. Um, and that uh, procedure would be either a total disc replacement, which would probably be the, the first choice, uh, or an anterior cervical discectomy infusion. Um, over the past, I think, oh, 10, 12 years, you know, the disc replacements have really 
uh, come a long way and, and kind of become the standard of care. I mean, there's been some recent uh, articles, not even not in baseball, but in NHL, uh, which is a little bit more high impact and, and players have started getting the disc replacement. And one of the players actually had to file a, a suit against his team in order for them to allow it. And that was just earlier in this year. And now like there's already been four in the last couple months that have uh, had a disc replacement, but um, you know, thing and you're allowed to maintain motion with the disc replacement so um that doesn't put pressure against the other levels uh, over time and so that's that's been an exciting um development yeah is there a um a tendency for minor or major league players to forego some some surgical process because it's going to take a lot longer to recover and basically their livelihood is on the line so they want to take the most sort of least invasive or non-surgical process first, even if it's on the table and recommended? Absolutely. I mean, certainly athletes, you know, they like their jobs. They want to be out there. They want to get paid. They want to be able to perform, right? And so there's a lot that goes into kind of the treatment modalities and the recommendations uh, based on, you know, gosh, what time of year it is in the season. You know, if it's like, Towards the end of the season, they're out of playoff race. And if surgery is an option, you know, a lot of times they'll do the surgery because then they have the whole offseason to recover and they'll be back for next year. They won't really miss any time. Um, and conversely, if it's towards the end of the season and recommend surgery, but they can maybe tough it out and they don't have they have pain, but not necessarily a neurologic deficit, then certainly try everything you can to keep them on the field non-operatively because if they miss time, they'll miss the playoffs and, and a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, contract situation comes into play, a lot of things. So yeah. it's a complex discussion and y'all's got it. You know, there's different interested parties like the team might not have the same, I don't know, bias as the player. And so you kind of got to just lay it out there and um, let the player make the best decision. So, you know, the players really are, are my patient. And so, you know, I just owe it to the player just to give him the best uh, options and he can consult with the team and weigh the options and choose the best best way forward. Okay. So you talk to the player, but you don't have to talk to the, the team physician or head orthopedic to who may have an interest with the team and possibly siding up, taking opposite position to saying like, you know, we need you for this playoff run or we think it's in your best interest or contract negotiations. Like, that conversation just happens between you and the patient and not management, right? No, no. I mean, it happens with all, you know, and oh. I, I mean like the, uh, you know, I, I advise the team, I advise the player and you know, ultimately it's the player and the team's decision on how they want to proceed. Okay. Um, as me as the, the surgeon and stuff can't put the, um, you know, team's bias or, or, or wants onto the player. We got to let them, work it out uh, and make their best decision because the team ultimately gives the authorization on how to uh, a lot of times how, how to proceed or, or, or their blessing. You know, it's, it's always the patient's decision. Dr. Young, we'll take a short break and then continue our conversation about spine care and baseball. Uh, we'll talk about what disc, what the practice often sees in high school and college baseball players, and then also the recovery process and whether that's different for elite athletes, or uh, so-called weekend warriors. We'll be right back. 
interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley, want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and Podcast, or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation? At MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Christopher Young. Dr. Young, the first half of the show, we talked about you know, how you got into providing care for baseball players, minor and uh, major league players, common mechanisms of injury, and then uh, a range of treatment options. Let's talk uh, now about Desert Institute for Spine Care and what you guys often see in high school, college players in the Phoenix Valley in, in Arizona. Are those injuries similar or different to what you see at the minor and major league level? It's very similar. And, you know, it's interesting with the year-round training and everything and just the increased specialization, um, we're seeing a lot more repetitive use type injuries, and that's going to show up as a little bit more of overall degeneration of the discs um, and maybe some back pain. But especially in younger uh, players like high school kids, you're seeing a lot more pars fractures or uh, little insufficiency stress fractures uh, of the lumbar spine just because of the increased repetitive loading and stuff. And those can be like the most frustrating um, problem to treat. And, and you also see these in, in professional athletes, but a lot more in, in the high school athletes and college athletes. They're not quite as developed, not quite as strong in their core, and they're still doing all of the forces with you know baseball and working out and everything. And so those bones are just getting fatigued and getting little fractures. And that can put them out of competition for almost a year sometimes trying to let it heal. And sometimes they don't heal. And luckily, you know, in the past, you just really try to, to treat those non-operatively and up to like six to 12 months sometimes. But now, you know, if, if they aren't healed after like six months or so, uh, still having problems, you know, there's some minimally invasive options where you can put a compression screw across the fractures and hold them and, and get them to heal. I mean, a lot of these don't heal, but you know, players uh, are able to kind of just tolerate the pain, keep their core strong, and, you know, even have a good professional career with these unhealed uh, fractures. They just get a little bit stable and, and you know, they just, they're just in the training room a lot more. Uh, dealing with flare-ups and stuff. But yeah, the PARS fractures are the biggest kind of thing that we're seeing in these younger athletes these days. All right, thanks. I guess that's tied to uh, what happens next. So if they get injured, the recovery process, and I want to ask you whether the recovery process from what you've seen in your patients is similar or different between the elite athletes in major or minor league baseball and um, more of the weekend warriors, you know, most of us don't have access to personal trainers or team level of training staff for weightlifting, conditioning, nutritioning, understand how to stretch appropriately, and then the recovery process with all the modalities that they have access to. So how would you describe in general that recovery process and how it differs? There's a saying, you can't rush biology. So there's always the uh, same time frame for, for healing the soft tissue uh, envelope and 
especially for herniated discs, which is the most common injury, um, for healing that annulotomy or hole in the disc to help prevent recurrent herniations. There's still typically, you know, in any given cohort, uh, about a 20% chance of recurrent herniation over your lifetime. And it probably takes about 10 months for that scar to be as strong as it can be um, to help limit uh, a recurrence. Uh, so, you know, it's difficult in, the, in the athletes, they're rearing to go. They want to start rehab right away, but you kind of got to hold them back a little bit, do trunk stabilization, neutral spine exercises where they're not putting torque onto the uh, spine just to prevent that recurrent herniation because the highest chance for recurrent herniations in the first like five weeks when you don't have a scar there. And so, you know, the recoveries, I guess, very similar. Uh, certainly the precautions are different for, for a high level athlete. Um, you know, they're in terms of return to work, it's probably more like four months or so before they're back on the field, uh, versus, you know, someone like you and me, if we had surgery on Wednesday, you know, we'd be back at work on Monday, just kind of limping through it and doing our office job and probably fine because the typical, like the, the symptoms that you come in for are nerve pain shooting down the leg. It's terrible. Can't sleep, can't do activities. And once that's off, pressure's off the nerve, you're feeling really good other than the incision. So once the incision kind of heals and doesn't hurt, then you're doing pretty good as a weekend warrior uh, and can return to your normal everyday life Uh, for the athletes. You know, that's not good enough. You have to build up the core. You have to maintain flexibility so you don't re-injure it because their loads on their spine are a lot more. So you have to really uh, work with the trainers and therapists to build them up and prevent a recurrent injury. And that's the biggest difference. So you kind of build them up over a process. And then by that time, the scar is strong enough where it's not going to hopefully recur and their, their trunk stabilizers are strong enough where they're going to protect their spine. I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, getting on that, uh, that trunk stabilization. To that end, I guess, uh, is there a process to try to strengthen the trunk stabilization stabilizers and prepare someone before surgery so they come out of it better off? Or do you basically take the general sense of someone's health and their conditions um, as is before you go into surgery? You know, some guys are, they don't look like athletes, <laughs> so to speak. They have a golden arm and, and, you know, maybe their trunk stabilizers aren't as strong. And so then it's a little bit longer rehab to kind of get back on the field and, and be safe, you know, cause they got to start from um, weaker position. Um, so certainly being strong beforehand is, is an advantage and helps just take load off of any surgery area uh, that you do. Dr. Young, uh, I wanted to ask you about your team. Now you've been recognized as one of the top docs and, and spine surgeons in the Valley for a number of years. It looks like 12, 13 years, almost running now, but you've got others on your team. So how do you divide and conquer amongst yourself and your colleagues at DISC? These are all great guys and they're all uh, well-liked and got great reputations in the, in the community. And most importantly is, you know, they, they have good indications and they're conscientious and they're really good surgeons. So it's, it's nice when your partners don't have, you know, a lot of problems or or complications or anything. So, um, 
yeah, and how we divide and conquer, you know, we just kind of take everything as, as it comes to us, you know, everyone kind of gets kind of their referral network, I guess, you know, just being out in the community and, um, you know, you get one good outcome for like a, a primary care, a primary care physician's patients. And then, you know, they start sending more and more and, you know, so, uh, we just, you know, let our, patients be our best kind of advertisements, you know, our results and stuff. I've I've been lucky enough to have great partners and um, have great results. So we think we're, we're the best of the best. So um, it's it's nice to be with these guys. Well, congratulations on the progress and success you've had. Uh, I tell listeners, if you want to connect with Dr. Young and his team, go to their website, which is sciatica.com. Dr. Chris Young, uh, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we're glad you're on the show. All right. Hey, thanks, John. I really appreciate it. We'll see you next time at uh, spring training when it comes through. All right. Take care. This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015, helping physicians be the best they can be. Does your financial advisor help you pursue what matters most? With so much at stake when it comes to protecting everything you've worked so hard to achieve, it never hurts to get a second opinion about your financial future. At Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, Our approach starts by understanding your life and what you want to accomplish. Then we work together to create a framework designed to give you confidence to do what matters most, no matter what the markets are doing. We want to help ensure you have all you need for today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. For more information about Baba Sobers Wealth Management, visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC.